The following program is sponsored by Lindis Construction. This is the WCCO Home Improvement Show, brought to you by Lindis Construction. One call, one contractor. Lindis Construction provides Minnesota and Wisconsin with the best products and workmanship. They provide leaf guard gutters, asphalt roofing, metal roofing, season guard replacement windows, exterior siding, remodeling, new construction, and more. If you've got questions, they've got answers this hour. Here's Denny Law and Andy Lindis. And good morning. Welcome back to our home improvement show. We welcome your phone calls and text messages. Andy is taking uh, this uh, first Saturday of the year off. But uh, Barry Strands is back with us. Now, if if you're new to the show or new to Barry, he's a rather shy and inhibited (laughs) guy. That's funny. You make me (laughs) laugh, Danny. It's good to see you, by the way, sir. Good to see you, too. Happy New Year to you and your family. You You have a good Christmas? Crazy, wonderful. With just a few people. <laughs> loud. Um, yeah, that's good. Going back to work was like a culture shock. It's like, <laughs> okay, hey, I remember this. But it was quiet. Much, much quieter. We had yeah. a grand time. Well, that's good. It's good to hear. Uh, and uh, again, if you are familiar with the show, uh, you know Barry knows his stuff, and we, he would uh, like to help you out if you have any kind of a home improvement question. Phone it in. We've cleared the lines. Barry does not want to answer garden questions. Well, I would give you, you bad information. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think I'd happily answer them, but uh, people would go, no, he doesn't have a clue. And that's true. I don't. But he does know his stuff on the other side of uh, home, home uh, construction, things like that. Been I'm, around for I'm uh, old now, Denny. I've done this for, for a while. Just, yeah, I, I said it to my kids. I said to one of my sons yesterday, and he's like, Dad, quit saying that. So I, I know age is just a number, but some days you look and go. But my body, I went roller skating with my kids on Wednesday night. Oh, did you feel it a day oh, or two late? Oh, stars. <laughs> I wake up on Thursday morning and think, um, Advil, what a good thing. Yeah. I love ibuprofen. Yeah, so it good. does. Yeah. But anyway, you, you're not old. You're seasoned. Seasoned. Well, I become a veteran now of a lot of different experiences in the construction world. So when people call in, it's funny sometimes because I got, I've made that mistake. <laughs> I can help. <laughs> you know here's what you should have done because here's what I should have done. You've relayed some, some of those errors uh, in your uh, past, but maybe what we should do sometimes is do a show on because you always learn from your mistakes. Or usually you should. Anyway. I, I, I'm, I tell people if you're going to actually step outside of your comfort zone, you're going to make mistakes. And that's okay. For me, I felt like I should get it right the first time every time. That was kind of the paradigm I was under. And that's just a false paradigm. What if you could actually let yourself go, you know what? Let me try making a mistake. I want to do it in a way that's not that expensive so that I make a mistake with something that won't have a lot of financial impact. When you have a father of 11, yeah, you know, you can't yeah. afford to make a lot of mistakes financially. No. So, you know, the goal was to make mistakes that wouldn't impact something I could fix myself if I blew it. So drywall, trim carpentry, those kinds of things are not terribly expensive mistakes uh, because they're not a lot of dollars invested. Structural mistakes, an entirely different thing. Mechanical mistakes, plumbing, electrical, HVAC. Much different. So when someone's uh, on, you know, listening to a show like this on a Saturday morning and saying, you know, I, don't, I was really going to do that myself and I watched some videos online, and, but I'm not still quite so sure. I, one of the evaluation characteristics I use is well, what's the implications if you screw it up? What kind of cost implications yeah. or time implications are involved? And once you kind of process that, then you can decide whether to press ahead. Today there are such excellent videos available. When I was a kid growing up, even a young man, it, there was nothing like that available. No. You couldn't watch someone do it. And sometimes you'll see guys do these YouTube videos and they're screwing things up right in front of you. 
But at least if they recognize that and then continue to teach through a mistake, they can help anybody watching that to learn and get better uh, acquainted or more familiar with the kind of things that they'll run into as they try it themselves. You use the word teach, and that's part of it, especially to some of our newer listeners, Barry. Besides being in the construction end of it, uh, you do teach. What do you teach? I teach construction classes to contractors, realtors, and appraisers. In fact, the very first one is next Friday. So professional oh, education resources, yeah. proedresource.com. Yep, uh, you can Google Barry Strands, and it'll link you right back to that site. And for contractors who need license hours, come see us. We start at 730. We're out by 230 in the afternoon. We feed you lunch in the process. And, How about that? For 100 bucks, you can't beat the deal. Plus, you get fun, energetic, and knowledgeable A lot of info there. All right. I'll tell you what. 651-989-9226. Let's keep, not keep folks waiting. Lynette is calling from Burnsville with a question. Lynette, what is your question for Barry? My question is, um, we would like, we have an older home built in 1958. We need to replace the interior door. And... Um, We'd like to do it ourselves to save money. Is um, is that wise to do? And secondly, um, do we buy doors that are already on um, frame, or do we buy doors that are not on frame? All right, there's a couple of questions I need to ask, Lynette, to clarify. Number one, are, is the casing, which is the trim around the face of the door, is that being replaced as well or just the doors themselves? I was thinking just the doors, unless mm-hmm. it's easier to do it all. Okay, so the question is, if you're not going to replace the moldings, then it's easier to replace the door blank by itself. The problem is this. Most doors that are, that are going to be purchased don't come pre-routed for hinges because they don't know for certain what the hinge pattern was going to be on the existing house. So now you've got to cut the hinge, uh, they're called gains, into the edge of the door blank, and that's a really tricky process. I don't think do-it-yourselfers should try tackling cutting those hinge gains. So because of that, you have to pull the casing off, take the entire frame of the door out, install the new door frame, pre-hung, we call them, and then install the existing casing that was there in the first place. And that's not a typically you know, difficult process. I think, frankly, that's easier than cutting new gains into a new door blank. Um, if you're enameling or painting the, the word woodwork, you're allowed some forgiveness because you can patch a screw up that you would create. But typically, you're going to need a router to do that. Some guys do them with sharp chisels. But it is a, a process that requires real carpentry skills to cut the gains. So in my estimation, it's easier to install a pre-hung door. Okay. What about um, closet doors? Right now, they're closet doors that slide. Okay. that they open, like unfold. Sure. So you've got a slide-by closet door. You're going to be taking the hardware track out and the doors themselves out. And then you're going to be using a bifold or a, or a swinging door. Either one of those types is useful. Those create problems if you're putting in a new frame. If you've had a slide-by door, you might not have enough width of the rough opening to create a frame with a hinged door. You'd be fine with a bifold, but you wouldn't be okay if you did a hinge door because you might have to open up the framing so the casing comes off, and then the width has to be checked so that you know you've got enough space. Normally, you've got the width of the door plus the width of the jams plus some space for shimming. All of that's got to be taken into consideration when you purchase the new door. Did that help you, Lynette? Yes. Is that something you would have a novice take on, or would you have somebody come in? I, yeah, what do you, my brother's here, and he's out in California and does a lot of renovation. He's got a good answer for this. Jump in, Blake. Particularly with a 
French door or swinging closet door where you have two sets of doors in one jam, those are probably the most difficult pre-hunks to set because now you have basically two doors that need to be plumb level square and aligned in and out so that the top and the bottom match on the center seam. So they are among the most difficult doors to set for even professional trim carpenters, honestly. So I would say if you're going to replace with a bifold, that's pretty easy. It has a lot of adjustment potential. But with a with a French-type door, you have to be absolutely sure that your jam set is completely perfectly plumb, level, and square from side to side and top to bottom because otherwise the doors will never align properly in the middle. And that's a great way to have uh, anybody get really mad at you for doing the work. So especially someone you might be married to, what happened here? Well, it wasn't plumb, square, and level, and so I ended up doing the best I could. Well, it doesn't look very good. You're right. So what are we going to do now? Well, I actually was on a job site one time when the building contractor had hired me as a trimmer, and I was trimming an opening, and I said, you know, your walls are splayed. One side of the wall was out of level, and the other side of the wall at the door opening was out the other direction. And I said, I can't make this door work. I can pull this door stop off and adjust it. He goes, don't you know how to fix this? I said, I said, no. He says, well, don't you carry a sledgehammer? I said, I'm a trim carpenter. I don't carry a sledgehammer. And so he, he went out and he grabbed a sledgehammer and a two-by-four and he, and he drove the wall back into alignment and now you have a slight little gap between the base molding and the carpeting. It was it was like, what on earth? But that was his solution. He's like, well, I don't hire good framing carpenters because I hire good trim carpenters to fix their mistakes. And I'm like, uh, evidently, I'm not that good a trim carpenter. So Lynette should not use the sledgehammer. Not the sledgehammer technique. Okay. All, right. All right. Thanks for your call, Lynette. Thank you. Thanks Bye-bye. very much. Lynette leaves that line open. At uh, 651-989-9226. Nice to have Blake here, Doug, on it. Yeah, he's in from California. How long ago? Yeah. Yeah, he was here before, though. Yes, you, you met him. Yeah. So that's the fun part. And I'm like, hey, come with me on radio. It'll be fun. That's yeah, good. So you Two Christmases ago I was here. It was we a couple years ago. We started the remodel on our house out in Southern California. How did that go? Well, No we sledgehammer? Just, uh, oh, lots of sledgehammers. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a full, complete gut. So we split the house in two. We remodeled the half that had the bedrooms. And lived in it or lived in the living room and kitchen area. And then when the bedrooms were refinished, we moved into the bedrooms and gutted out the kitchen and living room area. So we did it in two halves, lived in the house the whole time. Uh, it was a three year labor of love and hate. And I was going to say a little stress <laughs> um, along the way, but it turned out, it turned out beautifully. There's, um, I don't know if I can plug, but I, it's, oh, I'm blogging sure. the process. So if people want to see any of the project, they sure. can go to the BS of BS at wordpress.com or blakestrands.com. We'll get you there as well. Oh, excellent. He's got remarkable skill set. Of course, he learned it from the family. And, uh, but his house has got a view of the ocean, so he looks down into the wow. bay. It's pretty. It's not like what I live in in my 40-foot Minneapolis <laughs> city same. lot. I get out there and go, shoot, you need more kids. Now, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the different regions. Here we are in Minnesota. Yeah. You did the, you work and live in California. Are there big differences as far as code? Because you teach code. Well, what's interesting is that the main body of the building code is the same all across the country now. I see. But when you get into seismic activity, you have, you've got a much different world in California. So they've got hold-down requirements that we don't see as part of our code information. However, what you're going to find in California is that they have more zoning restrictions relative to, like, the remodeling process. And, Blake, you and I were talking about 
when you remodel, what percentage has to be recycled. You had some, you have some crazy rules. And then when we were oh. out there to visit, we saw all of those flagged areas along the houses that were getting prepped for rental because you had to have the neighborhood support the uh, addition to work that was being done so that we didn't have a view blocking issue. Say something about that. Sure. Yeah. So we live in a, I guess you'd call it a restricted zone. It's called the Hillside Overlay. And our neighborhood's called the Hollywood Riviera. And it basically is a hillside that rolls down to the South Bay of Los Angeles. And so anytime you want to build there um, in our neighborhood, you have to have approval from your neighbors. So anything higher than 14 feet has to be silhouetted with a flagged outline of the new proposed renovation. And then there's a public comment period and you go before a planning commission and all your neighbors can input and they can approve, un- disprove, squash, whatever they want. It's kind of like when you want to build out on Lake Minnetonka right. and you have a public hearing. Um, so it, it does create some challenges. With our project, it was, it was relatively easy because we weren't expanding the footprint and we weren't elevating the roof line. So people so, were more amenable to, to what your project correct, was. Yeah. It wasn't going to affect and, their yeah. views. Sure. And we only needed to get one neighbor to sign off on our project to get it through the city. So it was, for us, it was quite easy. And I just had a neighbor below me who he opted to lower his roof line down three and a half feet to make it easier to get his permit. So my view just got better, way better. (laughs) So sometimes it works in your favor. I should say. All right, you guys, hang on. Nice to have uh, this brain power in studio. It's good, isn't it? All right. Uh, If you have a question, home improvement and Sarah, you're going to be next. Uh, Send us a text 81807. Or uh, call us. We have a line open, 651-989-9226. And good morning. Welcome back to our Home Improvement Show, presented every week by our friends at Lindis Construction. In studio, Barry Strands and Brother Blake. So you've got a lot of, uh, as I said earlier, brain power helping you out. Any kind of a home improvement question, try to stump these guys. Yeah, right? we should have. We, I should have set that up because we could have played stump the contractor. This would have been a great week for that. We still can. Yeah. Anyone who's yeah. listening and says, sure. hey, uh, I'll bet they don't know this. Because there's lots of stuff we don't know. The only question is, can you find it? Right? <laughs> so, we, we can fake most things. Yeah, right. yeah, you can. Yeah, you got that silver tongue. <laughs> All right. We have folks calling in. We're going to get Let's to them, get too. Let's get to calls. If you'd rather send a text, 81807. Now, uh, briefly, Barry, you and I had mentioned, well, I just mentioned the show is sponsored by uh, Linda's Construction, but good things going on there. Oh, yeah. In fact, this month in January, they're doing a 75% off installation of labor, labor installation reduction yeah. on Season Garden Infinity by Marvin Windows. And then you can also get a free heat map analysis if you get an insulation estimate. So that will give you some identification of what's going on in your home. Now, there are some restrictions with that based on size of the house and that, that sure. kind of thing, but call them. And they're also at the Home Building and Remodeling Expo this weekend at the Hyatt Regency. So they're there downtown, and at the exhibit hall in the, in the Nicollet Grand Ballroom, there's the Expo uh, Home Building Remodeling That's show. this weekend. Yeah, yeah. And they're there. Yeah. So I think that's why Andy couldn't make it to the radio. I today. bet he is there. So. Yeah. All right. Well, good. We'll ask you about that before you leave today. Yeah, today it's wonderful. Too. Yeah, check them All out. All right. We promised Sarah, who's calling from Minneapolis, that Sarah would be next on the air. Go ahead, Sarah. Thanks for waiting. Hi. Thank you. So I have a question. We're considering converting our three-season porch to a four-season porch. And wondering what um, the code requirements are to make it be a truly four-season porch. And second part is, is that a good investment as far as getting our return if we were to sell it again someday? Sure. So you're saying you have a three-season now, you want to go to a four-season? Is that what I heard? Correct. Okay. So the biggest issue is that on a three-season porch, you don't typically have a heating plant inside that space. 
And so now you, when you heat that space to turn it into a four-season all-year living space, you have to insulate to code. And the challenge with that is to get into the spaces where the insulation was no, never installed. So an attic area up above, what kind of access do you have? So the ceiling of the three-season, you have to get into the roof area. Now, sometimes that can be done from on top. You open up a hole in the roof, and you can come back in and spray insulation in that space. I love spray foam, I've said many times. But to get to the wall cavities as well to insulate and get underneath that space to insulate. The underneath portion is typically easy. The side walls, if they're covered up, you can't get to those, and you can't get to the roof. So converting a three-season to a four-season means that there has to be some demolition done Done to access ventilation levels. And then you have to get a separately zoned or a separate heating plant into that space. That's what makes the project expensive or more expensive, which is what's going to kill the recovery of value on the space. Now, if you had an easy access for a heating line, a ductwork that could be easily zoned, that changes the dynamic of costs. But those are the questions that lead to the answer to the second part of your question. It's like, well, what is your cost going to need to be? What's the access to insulation? What's the access to a heating plant? Those are the things that will drive the price tag of the renovation, and that will tell you whether or not your recovery is going to be good or not. The issue will be square footage relative to the neighborhood you're in and the price point of the home. I don't think that you would find typically more than a 50% recovery of going from a a three-season to a four-season porch, though, because of the higher costs to manage your Mm. insulation and your heating plant. So, okay, thank you. Yeah, I hope that's right. at least useful to, to chew on. Yeah, that's a good. Now, point. if you can do that's the valid. work yourself, that takes the dynamic a little bit different, different direction. But typically, you're, you're, to get into a space like that and run insulation is never easy. And as a result, you have to hire a professional to do it. And so your, your costs go way up. Well, but, <clears throat> you'd also have the added electrical requirements if it's not wired to sure. the standard code of, of you know interior space. So basically, you have to make it meet the code of any interior space. Correct. All right. We have another half hour of the show to go. We're going to take a quick break. We'll have a look at that forecast. But if you do have any kind of a home improvement question, today is your day, 651-989-9226, or send a text. We'll get to those, too, 81807. Welcome back. Good morning to our home improvement show brought to us by Linda's Construction every week. In studio with us, Andy's taking the day off today, although he may be at that home remodeling show downtown. Yep, downtown to Hyatt Regency. Barry and Brother Blake are in helping us out, helping you out this morning. Uh, let's see. Let's go back to the phones, guys. Mike is calling from Maplewood, I believe. Mike, thanks for waiting. What is your question? Yes, uh, I have a existing kitchen bump out that in the winter, the cabinets below get pretty cold. Sure. And I'm doing a siding project this spring, and I'm wondering... You know, what's my best approach for trying to improve the, the insulation on that space, particularly the the little roof bump out above yeah. the bump out and the floor below? Sure. Uh, classic locations where we've under-insulated or we had bad insulation strategies. Uh, today we know that the insulation on the underneath section of that bump out needs to be on the plywood itself. So you can pull soffit plywood from underneath, you can get access, and you can spray foam up from underneath, or you can run sheet foam in and caulk that in place and then reinstall the soffit plywood. That would be your best strategy for the floor area. Then up above, you have to get into the access of that cavity space. And the question is how the framing was done and then how that bump out behaves. If there's cabinetry and you can't get into the bump, then 
then you can come through the roof surface. And because it's such a small area, typically, replacing shingles isn't that big a deal. But what I would do in that case is pull shingles off, cut through the plywood, and then get access to the space. And maybe need to do that in a couple of places. And then you'll be putting new shingles back in place when you're done. But in my mind, well worth doing. I would really encourage you to do that because having that under-insulated is really, really annoying. You can freeze pipes, have all yeah. kinds of issues. And, and there's really no excuse for it except that we didn't know how to handle the insulation in those levels 25, 30 years ago. And we've learned so much about the process now that most houses that are doing those kinds of bump outs would get spray foam in those locations and seal them tight from an air leakage standpoint, plus get a higher R value. And that, notorious, notorious space for air leakage. So yes. I'd really recommend spray foam in that because you'll get the air sealing as yes, well as the right. insulation value. That help you, Mike? Yes, I think that that should help. Uh, and also they're going to do a, an R wrap on the exterior. Would you recommend doing a two levels of wrap? No, an R wrap is designed primarily as an air barrier, and, and depending on what the material is, it will have some R value. But I, I think cavity insulation is the most important and most effective way to go. Most of the wrapping materials, especially if they're underneath a vinyl siding, for example, are going to have an R value of about three, which isn't going to give you enough to effectively change things. What does matter is whether you get a good air seal, and that's the critical aspect of it. Again, a foam's a better option than any external wrapping material from an air sling standpoint. All right, very good. Thanks, Mike. Good luck with that. Uh, Tim and Faribault is calling with a question. Tim, what is your question for the guys? Yeah, good morning. I've got a two-part question. We've got a kitchen project going. Our, our home and flooring are 17, going on 18 years old, and uh, we're taking out a kitchen island, and uh, we're going to we're gonna have a peninsula made, so I'm going to have to do a little patchwork on the flooring. Uh, at this point, we don't think we want to uh, redo the flooring. It's one-foot square linoleum flooring. Uh, you know, it looks like tile, but it is linoleum. Is there any chance I can heat that with a heat gun and take it up with a wide putty knife? Or how, what's your thoughts on trying to get that floor up? Well, I need to tell you, I've never done that. My bet is that if you warm it, you'll be able to pull it. And th- th- I think that's really likely. And that age should be no problem with asbestos, so that wouldn't be an issue there on the 12-inch. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's worth a try before you do a topical cover of the whole thing. If your goal is to stay with the same material, the biggest issue is going to be what ultraviolet light has done to the area underneath and how that shading will impact the look of the floor when you pull the island. Typically, what you're going to get is some UV on the floor surface that was exposed to direct sunlight, and that will become a lighted area, lighter area than the new tile. If you've got the existing from the original installation sitting in a basement or a garage someplace, typically it won't be the same color. That's the biggest problem with trying to do a patch like that. Okay. Yeah, we kind of realized that, but we thought for now we'd maybe live with that. But yeah, sure. But I was just mm-hmm. trying to get some ideas on lifting it. And then uh, one other question, I'll just hang up and listen. Could you speak to the pros and cons of granite uh, countertop? Well, sure. I mean, uh, we we do them almost exclusively in the homes that we build. Now, there's lots of quartz-based composite materials, uh, Cambria and Silestone and Zodiac, a bunch of them that are out there that are also wonderful products. Uh, The question is whether or not you want to spend the money for those quartz bases that are now so good looking that a lot of people couldn't tell the difference between an actual granite and a 
a quartz-based product. Uh, Cambria particularly has got some amazing looks on their product. And the, typically the price point goes up with that. It's more expensive than granite today. And I didn't I don't think most people are aware of that. They think that granite is kind of the top of the market in terms of countertop pricing. That's just not the case. So looking at granite, you can go in and still at $40, $45 a square foot do a granite countertop. And the, the, the body of options there is immense. So finding the slab you want, when we do higher end stuff, we're looking at book match slabs so that they always have grain match and they're laid out on a computer so that the swirl and the line is almost indistinguishable when a seam is required. And ideally, you try to install where you don't need a seam, but uh, oftentimes that's the case. So I personally think that if you maintain the seal integrity of granite, it's a wonderful material. It's what I have in my kitchen, in the places where I've been able to salvage granite, and what I will be putting in when I continue to salvage granite off of job sites um, because I'm using the stuff that is being recycled rather than uh, buying new. Uh, I love it. I think it's a great choice. Keep it sealed, and typically you're going to seal the granite every, every couple of years. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Tim. Uh, Irene is calling from Forest Lake, I believe. Irene, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning. How can we help you? Um, I have a question. My house was built in 1988, and it's starting to sink. One end is six inches lower than the other one. Oh, wow. And a company came in and said to do peering down to the bedrock. What would you suggest or recommend? Well, the, uh, the challenge is to know exactly what's taking place. But if you're building on a substandard soil, then what typically I think is the best option is to bring a helical jack in and a hydraulic and screw jack will grab onto the base of the footing. So you can excavate around the edge of the house where there's been a drop and attach a screw jack to the footing surface. That hydraulic jack will get lifted up and the whole house will raise back up. And shoring companies that do that work, there's a number of them in the Twin Cities, but that's a specialty uh, work. I would not go to a typical contractor who just does foundations to do that repair. I'd go to a repair contractor specialist, but very doable. All right, good. Thanks, Irene. Good luck with that uh, project. Uh, I don't want to forget the texters either, guys. 81807 is our text number. Here's one. What is the best way to insulate a vaulted uh, so gravity does not pull it down. Well, that's, again, why we love spray foam, because spray foam will, will go where you put it. And obviously the differences between open and closed cell foam are discussed in contractor classes, but it typically in a narrower application, the higher R value is with a closed cell foam. And I just think that's your best option. Blown-in insulations, even batting fiberglass insulations will have a tendency to fall. We got into one project that had been built, and it had a, a eight twelve pitch in a dining room ceiling, and it had been all blown in insulation. As I'm climbing up into the attic, the entire insulation material has has uh, by gravity drained down along the perimeter, and so there was no insulation at the top of this dining room domed ceiling area. Literally, the drywall was the only thing between that and the cold attic air. Now, because there's warm air in the house, it's going to rise to this little high dome. They never had frost or moisture issues on that surface, but they had massive heat loss. And this is why the spray foam has just solved all of those pitch issues. When you have a pitch plane change or an angle of the ceiling, spray foam is the answer. It really is good stuff. Well, yeah, it's more expensive, but it works. Mm -hmm. And if it's going to work, I know it's kind of like looking at a, a TV and it's like you can buy a black and white still today. Why you would, I don't know, but you could. You know, you can buy a small screen or a bigger screen or a bigger screen. They're both going to show you the game. So why do you need the super high-def, multiple surfaces, $4,000 TV? 
because it's giving you some things that you're not going to get from the $800 TV and you won't certainly get for the $200 TV. Those are all TVs, but there's a difference in the price point. So for installations, I see it the same way. Their price point is different, but what you're getting is different. It's not just insulation. Especially it's, if you're going to live like we are, living in the house for right. years As, yeah. If you're turning the house to flip it or something like that, then maybe you make some of those kinds of adjustments. Or if you're getting into an entry level, it's your first home, you're thinking, I'm working with a builder. Yeah, fiberglass will work. It will insulate. It'll be fine if it's, installation, if it's installed correctly. But if this is my lifetime house, I'm foaming it. Now, for those that maybe joined us a little bit late, uh, Barry's brother uh, joined us again. Blake, uh, does California use foam as much as we do here in the Midwest? Well, no. I mean, we don't have the requirements for our value, especially in cathedral ceilings. And I actually just vaulted my living room ceiling. And what we chose to do there was a, we call it a flashing bat. So they come in with about two inches of rigid foam. You get the air sealing, you get the structural rigidity of the foam, and then you put a fiberglass bat underneath it, and that gets us to the R30 that's required for us in our climate. Now, the climate zones change as you move south, and I think the R value in a cathedral ceiling here in Minnesota now is 49 you know, and wow. I'm at 30. So that's, that's big difference. Six inches. That's six inches of fiberglass difference. Yeah. So wow. either you make, you build out the framing to allow for that extra space, or you go to a higher R value product like a poly ISO or a sprayed in foam. Yeah. yeah. And those are your only choices. So a spray foam has an R value of about six and a half per inch of thickness. Fiberglass has an insulation value of about three and a half per inch Ooh. of thickness. So we're getting nearly double the R-value per inch of thickness with a spray foam with over a, a fiberglass. Wow. Interesting numbers. Guys, hang on. We'll have to take a quick break here. We'll be right back. If you want to call in your home improvement question, there is a line open, 651-989-9226. When we do return, we'll pick up on more text messages as well. That number is 81807. Back to our home improvement show. Uh, we're talking, boy, guys, we've got a ton of text messages. Why don't we get to them? Let's get right? to them. Uh, let's see. Who is first up here? Dude, all right. This is like a four-part one. We're moving to a split level with a tiled landing. Stairs leading down are carpeted, leading to carpet. The stairs up are wood look, uh, leading to a wood laminate floor. It seems to look wrong. But I don't know what the best solution is. It looks like they laid the exact same flooring on the stairs and use some trim to make stairs. It doesn't look like real stair treads. What would you do in this situation to make things appear more aesthetically appealing or consistently, they want to say? Maybe this is as good as it gets, considering three types of flooring uh, meeting each other. Thanks. That comes from Amanda in Northfield. Um, Amanda, first of all, can I just say I'm sorry that someone didn't have a better plan than that? It sounds like someone remodeled something and thought, well, we'll do this, now we'll do this. Uh, in my estimation, the the biggest surfaces and the most expensive to replace are what I would avoid. I'd leave those alone. I'm curious what your thoughts are, Blake, but I would go after that tile in the entryway probably and see if I couldn't do the same laminate floor that's up upstairs on the entryway so that there's a consistent flow. It doesn't bother me that the stairs might be different and the carpet going down is fine in my mind. Well, it's hard to know without knowing what year the house was built. But sure. my guess is there probably was original hardwood under that stair and the upper level and you're probably on concrete on the lower level so they tiled the concrete floor and then they transitioned to a newer laminate floor because it's inexpensive and a lot of people do that especially flippers yeah they love it and uh, they just thought they'd continue down so everything would match um 
But unless you're really willing to commit to tearing a lot of stuff out to see what's underneath, right. then it's a matter of trying to solve. And I think, yeah, I'd probably... Well, you cover up at that point, right? I mean... Yeah, yeah, cover. So, so then I'd, the question is, do you carpet the stairs and carpet the upper space? It's like, then you know, you've continue, got tile and carpet. Or do you continue the laminate down yeah, I, and that's, the tile out? Right. That's where I'm living. I, yeah. I'm thinking that's that's the better option in terms of, of, of uh, aesthetics. The question, of course, is, will the market support that work? Are you going to live there for a long time or a short time? And what what aesthetically matters to you? I have some people who don't care about stuff like that. And obviously, you wouldn't call in if you didn't. So right. in my mind, I'd look at changing out that tile. Now, I was, since your brother's here, Blake, uh, from California, uh, have you, uh, we were talking about the difference in codes or sure. structure, especially in California. Have you ever felt anything the least bit like an earthquake? Well, I've had a couple, but I mean, I, they're, what I've experienced has been very minor. One, the first one I experienced, we were living in Hermosa Beach, and I thought somebody had slammed a door down the hall because we were in a corporate apartment while we were looking for our, for, for our house. Uh-huh. So it, I didn't even notice. And then there was one just a few months ago, and my wife said it lasted about 10 seconds. She felt it sitting on the bed, and I didn't notice a thing. I think I was up on a ladder or working on something, and it just it was just lost, just lost on me. I didn't notice anything moving. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, it shook for like 10 seconds. So we have felt them, but I haven't really noticed them. My wife and I drove too the, much. We drove the Alcan back, I don't know, 30 years ago now, probably, and we're in Anchorage and get ready for our flight back home. And there was an, an earthquake, and the hotel that we were staying in was moving. And it was, it was like, oh, I've experienced one of those. And I'd forgotten. She mentioned it last night for some reason. So it's interesting that the time comes up this morning. Yeah. I, I don't know why I asked. I guess because uh, Blake is visiting. And well, I've been in some houses that, what, that <laughs> when the dryer is out of line or the washing machine is spinning in a spin cycle, it feels like an earthquake. But you it know, does. We, we missed some cross-bracing in the floor structure. See, uh, we, want, we were going to talk a little bit, and I, maybe we can do that now, guys, about uh, – uh, this warm spell here yeah. and, and a humidity level. Well, it's fascinating because whenever we get temperatures that move up into the 40s, if there was any moisture up inside the attic that had come from the colder spell back in December, that stuff freezed or froze, I should say, and then went into an ice condition or frost condition. But now when we hit like 44 or 45 yesterday, that moisture that was in the attic will all go liquid. And so sometimes people will find that like a recessed light can fixture or a bath fan housing drips on their head and they're thinking, I must have a roof leak. And it's just important to keep in mind that moisture will migrate based on air pathways, primarily into attic spaces. These air pathways, we call them bypasses, but they are uh, very small areas where airflow can move from inside a wall cavity up into an attic or around a light fixture. Typically, recessed cans are the worst. So recessed cans now must be sealed by code. But you go back 30 years, and that wasn't the case. So the can housing became an opportunity for moisture in the air to move up through the can, through the fiberglass, typically insulation, and up into the attic space. Now, when it hits the surface of the OSB or the plywood up on the roof deck, it'll frost. Now it warms up, goes liquid, runs back down, finds a pathway, and boom, get a little bit of a dripping or a little bit of water stain. So we've had people say, oh, I'm in my construction classes, how come I've got some rust stains on my drywall? And I see, well, a nail, drywall nail, is actually getting some moisture from condensation, and we're getting this little rust spot on the ceiling. And it's like, well, what in the world is that from? And most people make the presumption that if they've got any water coming from their ceiling, they have a, a leaking roof. 
And I think that if we haven't had rain, obviously, you've got, and you don't have any snow on your roof, then obviously you have to understand that the problem is from condensation, from frost in the attic space. And that's just a good diagnosis of going, oh, that's likely. That's typical. That's not uncommon, especially with a spring thaw like we had in this last couple of days. I was thinking as you mentioned the word drywall, and that this was a text we got a long time ago. But I know there's an easy procedure for a drywall screw that's maybe popped out, uh, you know, or, or exposed somehow. Sure. Or at least you can see the image of it. That's How do you, you need the sledgehammer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is that it? Well, we we come across uh, this frequently. There's movement in houses. We know that once we build them, they're going to settle. We know that through the uh, winter conditions, exterior solid lumber studs are going to expand and contract relative to the temperatures on both sides of the wall. That's just the way life is. So we have wood movement, period. So the question is, is the drywall glued to the stud? Almost never, but once in a while, a builder glues drywall. So typically that's not the case, which means that there can be some separation between the drywall and the stud or the joist and the ceiling, and that's where we end up seeing the nail pop. Now, the problem, of course, is whenever you have a nail pop, to take that little drywall patch, you'll see the nail screw or the nail. uh, You have to then reattach the drywall tightly to the framing member. So my suggestion is always this. If you're going to do a patch, it's as easy to patch three closely located drywall screw holes as it is to patch one. So I go to the drywall nail pop and I put a screw in above or below if it's on a wall location or to the sides if it's in a ceiling location and I add two more screws. And by doing that, then I'm going to patch three holes, but I'm anchoring the drywall at the place of separation and tightening it back to the drywall that it's separated from. And then patch it and paint it and we're back in business. Speaking of business, our business is almost done here. Ooh, wow. We're almost out of time. Real fast, can you give that uh, 75% off? Oh, again? yeah. At, the Lindis gang is doing a great promotion in January. They're offering 75% off installation labor on all of their Season Guard and Infinity windows. Now, Infinity is made by Marvin. They're great windows. And they're also giving a free heat map analysis and whenever you ask for an insulation estimate. Yeah. So great ideas to save some money Call. right now. Easiest number to remember is 1-800-LEAF-GUARD. Blake, good to see you again. Come back again. Always welcome. Yeah, thanks, Danny, for yeah. having me. It's always a pleasure to come in and, you know, try to share some of the knowledge that we've gained over the last Fantastic. 40, 50 years. And I hope to see you again. Too, I'm back Barry. in a month. Good deal. See you then.